Welcome to the HR Room Podcast, the podcast series from Insight HR, where we talk to business leaders from around Ireland and share their advice on how to create the HR systems and workplace culture that's right for your business. For show notes and bonus content, simply visit www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. And remember, if you need any HR support, get in touch with us at Insight HR. Whether it's conducting a complex workplace investigation, filling a gap by providing you with a virtual or on-site HR resource, or providing advice via our HR support line, we'll help you resolve whatever human resources challenge your business is facing. Okay, let's get started. Hello and welcome to another episode of the HR Room Podcast. There have been substantial changes to immigration law in Ireland in recent months, with huge progress being made and with many employers being very actively interested in this area of employment law. But with critical skills, salary requirements, eligibility, naturalization, rules and procedures, and much more, there's a lot for HR teams and organizations to get their heads around. But to help us do that today, we're delighted to be joined by Keen Moriarty, partner in the employment law group at Philip Lee Solicitors. Thanks for joining us, Keen. How are you? Hi, guys. How are you? It's great to be here. Brilliant. Thank you very much for your time for joining us today. And as always, we're joined by our very own Mary Cullen, founder and managing director here at Inside HR. How are you, Mary? I'm great. Thanks, Owen. And great to have you here, Keen. Looking forward to this discussion. Brilliant stuff. So look, we'll jump right in. Um, and I suppose we kind of normally, as you know, Keen, start with a bit of a context setter. So I might just come to yourself first for one of those kind of questions. So can you explain the kind of basis for, I suppose, even having an immigration regime uh, where Ireland sits in relation to other countries, regions, just to kind of, I suppose, set the set the context there for us? Yeah. Um, so it's uh, that's a great question to start, actually. And um, Ireland is obviously part of the European Union. And the controlling our borders and how we manage our labour market is something is, is the purpose of, of the immigration regime. And it's really to do with accessing uh, both jobs, first of all, but then as it goes on, people will become entitled to citizenship and state benefits and all of that that comes with um, living in a country for a period of time. Um, and we have our obligations to the European Union and uh, to also under other international agreements. And so it's important that... Uh, our policies and our procedures in terms of how we access the labour market in Ireland, allow access to it, follows uh, those things. So Ireland is part of the European Union and what comes with that is free movement of people. So European citizens uh, are entitled to come to Ireland to work. Uh, Irish people can go and work in Europe. Um, and we've obviously all had the benefit of that for a long time. Uh, that has changed, or at least the, the makeup or the picture of that has changed, obviously, since Brexit um, with uh, Britain no longer being part of the European Union. But Ireland is in a unique position in that regard where it benefits from what's called the common travel area. So British citizens can continue to come to Ireland to live and work without a permission. They're still free to do that and vice versa. So Irish citizens can continue to go to Britain. Um, but British citizens can't necessarily go to the U European Union anymore and as they would have done under the uh, freedoms that were there uh, when they were a member of, of that a cohort of countries um, and there are other aspects to it as well so for example the continental europe would be known as the schengen area so you get one permission to travel to the schengen area if you're going to there to work but ireland isn't part of schengen so ireland has its own system again which doesn't necessarily entitle an individual to move about continental europe so we sit in a kind of a precarious position uh, but it's very beneficial uh, for Irish citizens because we have access to Europe and we also still have access to Britain under a separate agreement which remains following Brexit. So yeah, that's that's the sort of broad brushstrokes of um, 
how the Irish regime works specifically. Brilliant. We'll, we'll dig in deeper into that as we go through the discussion, I suppose. Um, I suppose, Mary, look, we kind of rattled off a lot of things in, at the opener there, a lot of aspects to, I suppose, immigration law, especially from an employer perspective. Is this an area, Mary, of employment law that people kind of typically find quite tricky to navigate? I know from my own perspective, it was kind of tricky to, to I suppose, to kind of deep into this and pluck out the right questions, that kind of stuff. But is, is that something that's reflected in, I suppose, our client-based wider market? Yeah, I think so, because I think if you look at um, the position in Ireland at the moment, um, everybody is talking about skills shortages in in so many sectors. Um, And obviously, when a business is um, suffering from, you know, a shortage around certain skills. And we can see that, you know, for example, in the UK last year with HGV um, lorry drivers, you know, a shortage of them and the impact that it was having in the UK and also in Ireland. Um, But you can also see that per business. So in certain sectors, there's a shortage of um, maybe nurses and doctors and physiotherapists. And you can see a shortage of um, retail staff, hospitality staff. And right across um, all sectors, you can see that kind of struggle um, when we're in a position of full employment. So what does an employer do? Or what do industries do? But they look outside of Ireland and look at, you know, where can we get that talent? Because if you don't have the talent, the impact is huge. Loss of productivity. You've got, um, you know, higher staff turnover. You can't keep people in the jobs. You have uh, low staff morale because you can't keep people in the jobs and you reward those that are there by giving them more to do. Um, you, the quality of work can drop uh, and you may not actually be able to expand business or meet your customer needs or demands. So the impact is huge when you've got skills shortages, you know, at a, a business level, at a, a industry level. And also when you think about from an employee perspective, you know, if we're just taking in people that don't quite have the skills to do the job, um, you know, you can find yourself in trouble there and, and feed into productivity, quality of work, performance management and all of those things. So it's quite a significant issue. So where do we get our talent? We look outside of Ireland, uh, the European Union and, and further afield. And you'll see in telecoms and things like that, people are now looking to countries outside of Europe for particular skill sets. And it's a real issue right across the board. Definitely. And it sounds like a real, as you said, maybe a real kind of live issue and a real live important thing for people to, to be considerate of. I know we actually spoke to, I think it was about this time last year, um, around kind of episode 105, we spoke to Gary McCabe, McCabe, sorry, from the Matter Private, who kind of spoke about their challenges in the, I suppose, the, the kind of nursing area. So you're dead right, Mary. There is a lot of practical examples, practical challenges out there, definitely. Yeah, and I think, Owen, if you remember back to what yeah. Gary was saying, I think they were talking about um, Philippine nurses coming yeah. into Ireland and, you know, the delay not being in the recruitment and selection processes or in the willingness of, of um, people to travel, but it was actually in terms of getting uh, the appropriate visas in mm-hmm. place at that time. So it's, it's a real, it's a really big issue for employers and 
you see the knock-on impact right across our health service when we can't get these essential skills into Ireland. Absolutely, and a real practical, practical live example there, as you said. Um, I suppose, Keen, another side to this, um, would you say that there's kind of a lot of, I suppose, there, well, I suppose the, the feedback that we, we've got just from this discussion and, and a couple of other, I suppose, points of note, that there tends to be a lot of jargon, I suppose, Keen, uh, around kind of immigration, which can often lead to, I suppose, bits of confusion. So I suppose before we go any kind of deeper into the topic, would it be good to maybe explain some of the terms that are kind of frequently used, any kind of bits that need some clear understanding? Yeah, thanks, Owen. I, I think um, in my experience, we get asked, you know, can you get uh, somebody with a critical skills visa or can you get somebody with um, this sort of stamp or do they have to register or you know, so there's all these different processes and procedures about how we manage uh, the paperwork and the administration. And it's quite a process driven and quite a, a paper based driven system. Um, but it's important to know what you're because of that, you need to get your paper right. So it's important to know what you're applying for and are you applying for the correct thing? And we can talk about that. But there are some terms um, that get intermingled. So, for example, an employment permit is just a permission to be able to work in a specific job. So you apply for an employment permit from the Department of Enterprise and that department administers that application process. And there are nine different types depending on type of job that you're taking up, uh, the conditions, the terms and conditions that go with that. So for example, salary or the duration of the role, whether you're going to be directly employed or employed by a foreign company coming into Ireland to carry out some work. So they're the employment permits. But you may also be visa required. And if you're visa required, it's it's a separate application. And there it's it's as basic as this. There's a list of countries that are visa required. So you must apply for your employment permit first if you're coming from uh, you, you, you'll only require one, by the way, if you're coming from outside uh, of Europe, because as we just spoke about, if you're coming from a European country, you can work in Ireland. But you'll apply for your employment permit first. And then if your country of nationality or the employee's nationality is on a list of visa required countries, they'll have to then apply after that for a visa. The visa entitles them to travel to Ireland and present themselves at the border. That's, that's the extent of that permission. Then they can start to work on their permission on the basis of their employment permit, but they have to go on then and register within 90 days with the local immigration office. It's Burkey if it's in Dublin, but the it's generally a guard station outside of Dublin, and they must register then, and they'll get a stamp, and the stamp is a confirmation that they registered and that they're here in line with this particular permission. And there are various numbers of stamps: one, two, three, four, five, six, zero. Um, and you'll get a stamp according to the permission upon which you're here. So, for example, stamp one is what goes with an employment permit. And it basically says you stay here and you, you're you entitled to stay here for as long as you're in compliance with your employment permit. So you have to work in this job and all the rest of it. The other stamps have different conditions. Stamp two, for example, is for students. Stamp uh, 1G is for spouses of critical skills permit holders or postgraduate uh, students who had held a stamp two. And those kinds of things. Stamp four is a a more broader permission that you can graduate to if you come in on an employment permit. We can talk about those, but the per- the point is that when you're talking about visas and permits and stamps, it's important to know what what it entitles the person to do, and also then where do I apply to get it? Because the stamp and the visa system is administered by the Department of Justice. The employment permit system is the Department of Enterprise. Um, what type of visa do I need relative to what type of 
employment permit I obtained. Those kinds of things uh, can be very can become very confusing quite quickly if you're a, a HR professional trying to navigate uh, through that um, regime. So yeah, it's, it, it's, it can be tricky. Definitely, and I think a lot of people had the, the notepads out there taking down some of those, those key points, so it's important to, to go through those. Appreciate that, Keen. Um, I suppose, Mary, back to that kind of backdrop with the whole skills shortage. Um, but if we're right in saying that this whole area of permits, immigration, all this kind of stuff is maybe slightly understated in the sense that so many people, so many employers, organizations will want to be aware of this, will, will be using it. Um, and I suppose the the level of commentary and advice and that kind of stuff out there almost doesn't match how widespread of a, a thing, an active um, task this is for people. Would I be right in saying that, Mary? Yeah, I think so. And I, I think, you know, when it when it comes, if you're trying to do it at volume as well, and mm. I know uh, some of our clients in, in certain sectors um, operating off the, the critical skills list um, have been trying to do it at volume. And so they're bringing in a number of people um, and need support around those applications because, again, it's not straightforward and, and you really do need to know what you're doing before you, uh, get into it and then you have the reality of housing and bringing people into the country um, and them struggling immediately for housing so you know some of our clients have actually you know bought accommodation um, to actually house people that come into the country to allow them a period of time to settle so it's quite it's quite the issue uh, it's not straightforward and there's you know quite a lot to it from an employer perspective bringing people in a again in terms of English speaking skills and all of that um, you know that it is something that really isn't talked about enough uh, in HR circles and maybe the supports and the systems that need to be in place here on the other side aren't necessarily there either the you know Finding and sourcing is one thing, then doing the paperwork, getting the the um, permits and, and the visas is another, and then bringing people into the country, helping them integrate, uh, housing them, making sure they have appropriate housing uh, and helping them integrate into your business is another you know the last thing any of us want in hr is when we bring people in because it's quite the process that people go back home fairly soon yeah. afterwards or you know it just doesn't work out for one reason or another and we all hear those stories about people struggling for accommodation i think dublin in particular and maybe some of the uh, larger urban areas in ireland are particularly struggling with that but you know yeah. kilkenny Belfast, Cork, wherever you go, there's problems with um, housing. Definitely. I was actually speaking to someone recently, Mary, who put uh, a room up for rent on on an unnamed website for renting. I won't, I won't plug anyone in particular there, but they got they got <laughs> 120 email responses in the first 10 minutes. So yeah, that right is an absolute very active issue that a lot of employers would be thinking of. But again, look a topic we're delighted to cover and we're delighted to have Keen with us to talk to us uh, about uh, about it today. I suppose Keen, I'll come back to you then for. I suppose a little bit more than nitty gritty. Um, first from the employee side, and then we move on to the employer side. But just I suppose one of the questions we we suggested or, or spoke about, Keen, was the one around the various routes 
through which a non-Irish national might be able to work in Ireland. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Because I suppose even though we're talking to employers now, that's probably an important one to understand, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and so there, there are various routes. Um, and we can talk about, or we probably will talk about, um, the criteria that applies when you're looking to obtain an employment permit for somebody. Um, we can talk about that in a little while, but it's important, I suppose, to realize that there are other routes as well. Um, and it does depend on the, the nature of the work and the duration primarily, but also the terms and conditions. But for example, obviously, as we spoke about at the start, if someone is a British citizen or a European citizen, um, they're entitled to come and work here. They're just entitled to arrive and start working. Um, there's some, you know, so there's no, there's no permit process or, uh, and uh, there won't be any visa process for those individuals. Um, and that even uh, sometimes can be, sometimes we get approached and it might be somebody who, say, identifies as being a, an American citizen, but is also has a citizenship of the UK uh, and never told their prospective mm. employer and things like that. And that changes it completely. So that does happen from time to time that you'll get somebody um, who just didn't realize that it was important that they had this other passport or this dual nationality, right? Um, which was much more beneficial. But going on from that, um, there are, there's a working holiday authorization, which is a generally student type people coming over here for summer jobs, things like that. It's a bit like the J1. And there's a, some international agreements that we have with places like Canada or New Zealand or America that allow that. Um, and then there are student permissions. So if somebody comes over here to study, they're entitled to work part time. They can work during the summers, um, but they have to be enrolled in a, in a course, a full time course of education uh, and meeting the other conditions that come with that. Um, and what actually often happens in those circumstances is that um, even getting a, a, away from the skills shortage, which is a very real and very live issue in, in certain industries and sectors, when you find someone good, simply when you find someone who's a great employee, a great worker, and you want to hold on to them, but their student permission is going to expire and they don't qualify then for an employment permit, for example. And so there may not be an opportunity or a basis upon which they can continue to remain in the country after their course of study is finished. So that can be a difficulty as well um, when you find somebody who's just very good and reliable. Um, beyond that, then we get into the, well, how does a non-national come here? Or uh, non-EU national, I should say, non-British national. Um, there's a 14-day business permission, which is obviously somebody coming here for a shorter period of time. They can present to the border and say, They'll have, to, they'll have to bring a few documents and explain that they're going to be leaving again and have their return flights available to show the border guard. And they'll be generally given a discretionary permission to enter by the guard. Right? If their visa required, they would have to have applied for a visa. So that would have all been sorted out already, but they may not require an employment permit for that short period. There's another scheme then beyond that called the Atypical Working Scheme, which is administered by the Department of Justice. That's for people coming here between 15 and 90 days, and it's for highly skilled individuals. Generally, they're coming in intermittently and there mightn't be an employment. There, there shouldn't be an employment permit that suits them for the purposes of what they're coming in. Then we, there's the, the, the nine different types of employment permits. The most common ones, Mary's touched on them already, are the critical skills and the general employment permits. And they're the ones we can talk about what that means or what critical skills means and what general uh, employment permits mean in a little while. But you're applying for an employment permit then and coming in on that basis and again, an employment permit is not a visa. So if somebody's coming from a visa required country, they'll need to apply for visa as well or after the permit. And that's the order of it. So it's permit first, then visa. Some people will require 
only a permit and some will require both. So you just need to be careful of that. And you can often get a situation where the permit is applied for and the employer uh, thinks that that's it. It's done. Now the person can fly over and start and actually they, they can't do that. They, their, their visa required as well. We never checked the list and actually we need to do a whole new process uh, to facilitate them coming over. Um, and then there are certain permissions that are available for family members of certain people. So if you're the non-EU spouse of an EU national or the non-EU spouse of a British national or the non-EU spouse of an Irish national, there are separate permissions for that and you'll be able to work once you go through that process. Um, and for people who are coming here who would like to start a business, there's a startup uh, entrepreneur program as well for high potential startups, but they would be generally self-employed or would be starting a company and being employed by that company. Um, but so there are various the different routes and they're dependent, as I said, on the terms and conditions, the type of work. Are you coming here on a secondment from a foreign employer? Are you coming here as a contractor? Are you coming here to be a direct employee of an Irish company? What type of role? How much are you going to be paid? All of that goes into choosing the proper route uh, and making sure that all the paperwork is in place. Definitely. So I suppose from a employer perspective then, Keen, and sorry to bombard you again with, a, with another tricky question, but I suppose from an employer perspective then, typical considerations an employer should make if they're considering employing a non-EU slash EEA uh, national. Yeah, well, so the first thing is to make sure uh, that you have, you, you know what nationality they are, um, because as we've just discussed, that, that will determine um, certain aspects of the application process. So mm -hmm. If it's a non-EU national, obviously they're not European, they're not UK, um, and they're not a family member of an EU, uh, UK or Irish citizen. So they're coming here um, on the basis of an employment permit, most likely if they're coming here to take up employment. Um, the next question then will be, well, what's the nature of the work? And there are, what the way we think of it is there being three lists. There's an ineligible list, there's a critical skills list, and then there's everything else, right? And the ineligible list are jobs that the government has decided we don't need any of these types of roles. So we're not giving out employment permits for these types of people, right? Or th these jobs. Um, and they're, they can be things like, uh, they're typically like uh, retail, cashier. Th there's a whole, that, that's only one section. There's a whole list of them and they're available on the website. And it, it is literally just a list. Um, then there's the critical skills list, which is jobs that we have a sh feel like we have a shortage of. And there, IT would be a big one. Um, that's a very common area of critical skills. Um, so, and then there's everything else that you can apply for in a, a, either a general employment permit or a critical skills permit. And I don't want to get too nitty gritty about it, but the critical as critical skills permit is available for a job that's on the critical skills list for which an employee has a degree for and which meets a certain level of remuneration or it's available for anybody who's going to be earning more than 64,000 euros a year right you can apply for a critical skills permit or then you apply for uh, a general if you're not on the ineligible list and you don't meet that criteria you can apply for a general employment permit and the difference it, the, the permissions come with different terms and conditions themselves. So, for example, a critical skills permit holder is entitled to be joined by their family. Their spouse can take up a, a different permission immediately, which is called a stamp 1G, and can work in any job, ineligible or otherwise. Right. So in, in some ways, the spouse gets a better permission than the critical skills holder. Um, 
the critical skills uh, last for two years. So you must stay in the job for two years. Uh, but at the end of the two-year period, you can apply for a stamp four, which is a different type of permission. And you can then work for any employer or go into business for yourself. So you're, you, you know, that's that's something some employers, when they sponsor somebody uh, or they put forward somebody for a critical skills, you're getting you're you're getting them for two years, but at the end of that period, then they'll be able to potentially move on to a different employer. Whereas that's not the case with a general employment permit holder. Um, they don't have a, an immediate right for their family to join them and start working. Uh, the remuneration is less, although it's, it, it is increasing and we can talk about that. It's a very recent change. Um, and so they're the kind of things that an employer needs to consider. But it's really, well, first of all, is this job available for a permit? Does it meet the criteria for a permit? And if so, which which permit is the most appropriate? Because if I apply for the wrong one, I won't get it. Or if I, I'm a, if perhaps sometimes two are available, you know, and these different terms and conditions come with each one of them. So, um, that's that's a major consideration, and it's it's part of what we spend most of our time advising on is trying to figure out what the best permit to apply for is. What what are you entitled to? Especially those people that might be on the line in terms of ineligibility or on the line in terms of critical skills, and you want to bring them, get them over into one or the other. The other thing then to um, most employers would be concerned about is the time, the processing time. Now it's quite quick at the moment. Processing is taking about four weeks, but that's four weeks from when you gather up the documents and apply for the permit. Um, if though the, a visa is required as well, you need to build in that time afterwards, right? So I get the permit first, that takes four weeks. I've gathered my documents, I apply. Four weeks later, I get my permit if I'm successful. And then I need to apply for my visa. So it's the, the employer should allow for that period of time, but you need to know that you need to allow for it because obviously often what happens is we get approached by people who are saying, I need the guy to start. I need the person to start you know, really quickly in the next two weeks and you're going, we just, we won't get that done, you know, or at least there's a different, there's an alternative solution that we might be able to do or whatever. But um, yeah, it's really just about managing, knowing the process uh, and managing your expectations and your workflow accordingly. 100%. I suppose kind of similar question to yourself then, Mary. Any kind of thing jumping out to you there, Mary, is kind of, I suppose, a key consideration or something that might take a little bit of extra note or care to get right because as Keen said there is a few bits there here in timelines the process itself it's a lot to kind of take note of and be wary of Mary isn't there? There really is and it's actually been fascinating listening to you talk mm. about it Keen. you obviously have a huge knowledge of um, this whole area um, and I, I guess it's like anything you know the, the skill shortage is where we start and then it's really you know where you where do you go to get your advice um and like anything you know these things are complex they're not straightforward and it's important to understand what you should be applying for and how you actually go about doing it. I do see uh, HR people and I always shout out to HR people on our podcast uh, as we are HR people ourselves. But, you know, the the paperwork, the messing around that you have to do. The I, I recall myself years ago in house, we used to do intercompany transfers um, in one company that I worked with, with the international companies. Um, and I remember getting a call from 
uh, one of the employees stuck at the airport, not able to get back into the country and the stress of it all from uh, an employer, never mind the employee who's having a horrific time, but your employee isn't coming back in and we have an issue. There's a, a something that came up that, you know, nobody was aware of or had kept their eye on or uh, all of that. And so these things are very real and very live and, and um, from a HR perspective can really be very challenging. Um, so I, I think it's it's great to have somebody so knowledgeable and uh, encourage people to re uh, reach out to you, Keen, because I haven't come across somebody with your level of knowledge um, so far in our travels around around this. Well, that's very, that's very nice to hear. Um, but, I, 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 but actually, it's important, I suppose, there are certain industries who are, uh, would be frequent users of employment permits. Um, things like uh, IT, um, horticulture, meat processing plants, those those types of industries. And, you know, it's, it is the type of thing uh, where if you do a couple of them and you kind of get used to the paperwork and you get used to the the level of what's expected, um, it is something that I, I, most employers will be able to put forward themselves. So I, 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 I'm probably doing myself a disservice there, but I, I, I do want, I don't want people to be afraid of it either or go away from this and thinking, oh, it's, it's extremely complicated. It can't be done. It absolutely can. Um, um, and where we would really find ourselves adding value is, is where you come across that one, either you've never done before or else you've come across the one that's just, there's something unusual about it that just doesn't fit in with the, with what you had experience of up to now. Um, but yeah, ab ab absolutely, we would be delighted, obviously, to assist anybody who requires it, you know. But I, I wouldn't like people to go away and go, oh my God, it's it's a minefield altogether, you know. Um, yeah, and dare I say, it might be kind of uh, affected by the amount of changes that have come in, I suppose, in the past couple of months and year or so, Keen, in, in employment law in general. I mean, this is another thing that there has been a couple of changes, um, and it's important to kind of keep on top of them, keep up to date from a, from a HR professional perspective, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And what you don't want, um, I suppose, is you don't want to find yourself having missed, like the the regimes change relatively frequently, right? And we, we'll talk about the changes. There, there has been some that have been implemented this month and we'll talk about those in a minute. But what you don't want to do is find that you've missed a change or something like that um, and suddenly you've applied for something that you're not entitled to anymore or you've applied for it the way you always did, but you missed, or the way you did last year, but you missed a change and suddenly, because you the risk is now. Oftentimes, the department, um, Department of Enterprise, is is very good, and they'll write out to you and they'll say, "Look, do you have this, or do you, can you give us this extra information, or do you have this document that we don't have, or wasn't in your application, or whatever?" Right? But sometimes, the, the, and they are entitled to just refuse your application, and so you'll have to reapply. You'll have to fix your the thing that you missed and update the application, apply again. And but but that's that's eight weeks now instead of four weeks. And your guy is late. He might have applied for another job. The employer is getting frustrated because he can't get the work started. Whatever. So, um, in terms of recent changes, there's a new uh, act coming. It's a, it's in bill form at the moment. It hasn't been enacted yet. It's called the Employment Permits Bill 2022. Um, and the changes that are coming with that. Uh, are coming out of a report uh, that was prepared in 2018. But they're going to introduce, a, well, first of all, they're going to replace or consolidate the, the existing legislation so that the existing legislation will be revoked. And it's really, it looks like it's going to set um, 
a kind of more clear, more certainty around things. It's also introducing a new type of employment permit, which we haven't seen before, called a seasonal employment permit, which is great, particularly in the agriculture and horticultural industry. That that's very important, and that was that wasn't available before. Um, and it's going to uh, it, it looks like, as I say, just make things more more clarity, which is helpful given what we've already looked at. But that is only at the third stage of the doll at the moment of the legislative process. So it's not quite there yet. Um, but we'll watch watch that space because that's coming up. But for now, um, on the 20th of December, the Minister for Enterprise announced certain changes that were going to be made to the existing regime, which are effective from this month. So it's, it's, uh, it's very topical at the moment. Um, and those changes are that they're adding jobs to the critical skills list. They're also changing certain jobs from uh, the ineligible list, which would make them available for general employment permit purposes. And they're also increasing uh, the minimum salary that uh, is required for those types of employment permits. Um, the salary cap hasn't changed in 10 years. And it goes back, I suppose, Mary, to the point you were making about the difficulty that those individuals can experience when they arrive in Ireland and they suddenly have to try and find accommodation and try to survive here. The The minimum uh, remuneration, annual remuneration that was, uh, which would entitle you to an employment permit hasn't changed in 10 years. So it is being brought up to date now. They're not making massive leaps. So for example, the general employment permit is going from 30 grand to 34 grand. But th- the plan is to increase it again uh, at the beginning of next year. It's going to go to 39,000. Over two years though, that that's, that's a significant increase for an employer who's perhaps maybe quite reliant on employing people under that uh, under that permit. Um, so those are the kind of things that are, are happening right now. So for example, if you had uh, started your application on the basis of the old uh, salary cap last year, but you hadn't got it in last year and now you're applying for it, you're, you, you know, you're, you're going to fall foul of it. I don't know exactly what the department is doing about that. I, I would hope that they would write out to you and say, look, will, will you change or are you willing to change? But they may just refuse it because Part of the application, part of the documentation in the application is the employment contract itself. And so it has to obviously reflect what the salary is going to be. So they're the kinds of things that are just happening right now. But it's interesting as well to see what jobs the government has decided we need more of, what jobs we thought we didn't need, but actually now we're going to move them off the ineligible list and allow them to be um, available for employment permit purposes as well. So uh, I would encourage anybody who was either uh, thought that they are, was under the impression that their their organization was on the ineligible list for the type of work they were doing was on the ineligible list to have another look at it. And again, just to have another look and see uh, of the critical skills list, all available online, what jobs have been added to that. And there are things like chemical engineers, project engineers, things like that, which people may have been looking for and probably were looking for for a long time, but couldn't get a permit for or couldn't get a better, a good enough permit for. So it's important, like the government didn't just pick these jobs out of nowhere, you know, so there is an industrial need for them. Uh, and so I would encourage people to yeah, have a, have another look and see if you want to explore that option again. Definitely, I suppose kind of final brief word to yourself then, Mary, it's very clear from the conversation, something that although there is a bit of a HR to-do list this year, and we've, we've said this before, so we don't mean to annoy anyone by adding another couple of things to it, but it's definitely one to, to really keep an eye on and be up to date with Mary, isn't it? As we said, it's a, it's a very live practical issue that I'm sure a lot of employers or listeners are thinking now, yes, I'm going to keep on top of this because I need to. 
Yeah, I think I think so, and because you know, even just some of those really simple examples that uh, Keane has given it around salary, and um, you know, people coming in, and whether they're on the eligible list or not, and all of these things change constantly. So being up to speed um, is important, and you know, from I have noticed that real expansion uh, of um, clients of ours looking for people now um, from further afield. And there's just loads of challenges involved in that. You know, sometimes the paperwork seems like the, the least onerous bit of the recruitment and selection process, but it can really come back and bite you if you don't know what you're doing, um, if you mess up your application, if you're um, not sure what what permits you should be applying for and um, these things can delay and like I said at the start of this discussion all of these things have a knock-on impact on a business's ability to operate effectively efficiently profitably to grow to prosper um, and so many of our clients talk about these challenges you know it's so frustrating for people you know we've got the people we've got the permits they're waiting to come into the country now we can't house them what are we going to do next and you know it seems quite incredible that small smes are actually buying properties to house people because that's how difficult it is to bring people into the country and yet we need them so i think there's you know a lot a lot of work that needs to be done from a HR perspective, but don't let the paperwork piece um, catch it. Definitely. Uh, there's many other challenges and, and issues around it from job offer to accepting it and not coming and uh, you name it. We've all been there in HR, um, but don't let the paperwork catch you. That's, that's my tip. Definitely. And look, such an important topic. So thank you, Mary Ann Keane, for, for just that. I suppose a, a, an important discussion, a practical discussion. Um, so I really appreciate your time. Thank you to everyone for listening. We'll catch you next week for the next installment of our podcast. So don't forget to click subscribe and join the discussion on our social media channels. If you are enjoying these episodes, do please feel free to share them with colleagues, friends, and family. And even better, if you can leave us a review on whatever platform you're on, we'd really appreciate that. And as always, for HR consultancy services and management you can trust, get in touch with us today at insidehr.ie. Thank you, Mary, and thank you, Keen. Thanks, Owen. Thanks, Keen. Thanks, guys. Thanks for joining us today on the HR Room podcast. The podcast series from Insight HR that helps you create the human resources systems and workplace culture that's right for your business. For show notes and bonus content, go to www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. That's www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. We'd love it if you subscribe, like and share the show with any friends and colleagues who are looking for fresh ideas on how to create the ideal workplace for their business. And remember... If you need any HR support, get in touch with us at Insight HR. Whether it's conducting a complex workplace investigation, filling a gap by providing you with a virtual or an on-site HR resource, or providing advice via our HR support line, we'll help you resolve whatever human resources challenge your business is facing. Thanks, and see you soon.